Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Monday, December 19th, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Welcome, everyone, to the show. Glad to have you here. I am back and better than ever from Jamaica, man. I actually have uh, lost a little bit of my pale Pacific Northwest fish belly white complexion. To the sons of Jamaica, man. I, I don't really tan. It's more like my freckles just start to move together. So uh, call it what you will. And, of course, uh, if you followed my Facebook or you follow any of my social media pages, you know we have to start uh, today with a little bit of a somber note. Uh, today's show is dedicated to uh, one of the greatest uh, beings I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. That's right. Roscoe P. Coltrane, the official dog of uh the Russ Belleville show. You know, I had my uh my plan was to go on vacation in Jamaica, spend uh 10 days there and then spend 3 days in South Florida uh so I could uh visit with my ex who has custody of my dog Roscoe and I uh yes, good boy Roscoe. And so I thought I'd spend 3 days uh in Florida, get to see my dog. Well, turns out while I was in Jamaica on a Friday night, uh, Roscoe escaped the house, ran into the road, and was hit by a car and killed. So I didn't get to see Roscoe. I missed him by eight days, unfortunately. But uh, I still made my way to South Florida. Uh, my ex-wife and I collected his ashes from his cremation. Uh, what a great veterinary service, by the way. Uh, a, a person driving uh, on the road had picked up his body and took it to the vet. And we had had him chipped, so they were able to identify him. And... Uh, they they made a mold, like a plaster cast of his paw. Uh, they made a donation to the Humane Society in his name. Uh, they were just wonderful people. So thanks to them, thanks to those vets, and um, thanks to the person who uh, was so kind in, in retrieving Roscoe's body for us. We appreciated that. So we, uh, we spread some of Roscoe's ashes in the Atlantic, and then we took a road trip across Florida and spread some of his ashes in the Gulf. Roscoe really loved the water, and so we're trying to uh, spread some of his ashes in all the different bodies of water. I have some now to take to the Willamette River, the Columbia River, and the Pacific Ocean. So this show is dedicated to Roscatelli, Smelly Felly, Semicolon, Puckerbutt, Nut Stomper, Boob Squisher, Sanchez, Gomez, Rodriguez, Ramirez, Coltrane, my dog, my Jack Russell terrorist, 2005 to 2016. All right, let's get to the show today because so much has gone on since I have been in the sun in Jamaica uh, drinking far too much rum cream. Uh, of course, we got that uh, note about the DEA rescheduling or not really rescheduling, but coming up with a new rule with regard to CBD. We're going to talk about that in the behind the headlines segment, DEA's new rule on CBD. And 
Are they inventing the law? Are they just interpreting the law? We'll get into that a little bit. Also on the show in drug war data mining, one of my favorite surveys came out, the Monitoring the Future survey. This is the one where they've been asking 12th graders since 1975 their various opinions about marijuana. And it's more good news for the legalization cause. We'll talk about that in drug war data mining. And, of course, it's Monday. That means that we get our regular dose of cannabis science from Dr. Mitch Earlywine in our cannabis Q&A. We'll take your live calls at 650-LEGAL-MJ. That's 650-534-2565. All sorts of new studies to talk about. Cannabis and pregnancy. uh, Cannabis and schizophrenia. Cannabis and parenting. uh, Cannabis and your vision. Cannabis and your sex life plenty of stuff to listen to when we get to that segment then we'll end up this hour with my radical rant regarding uh, mark and jody emery and jeremiah vandermeer being busted up in montreal asking the question can you be a cannabis capitalist and a marijuana activist i think you can and an hour two we got some reefer madness to debunk so stay tuned this is the russ belleville show on cannabisradio.com Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted, available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. We love it. I'm Radical Russ Belville, inviting you to join me every weekday on CannabisRadio.com for the Russ Belville Show. It's the NPR of POT. We bring you the latest marijuana headlines, cannabis analysis, drug war data, activist interviews, radical rants, and your live calls. Join me every weekday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, live only on CannabisRadio.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Supreme Court is wrong on the Second Amendment. Okay, maybe you're high, too. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Monday, December 19th, 2016. 
Canada's government said Tuesday it would study a federal task force's recommendation that Canadians over 18 years old be allowed to buy marijuana for recreational purposes and would announce new laws in the spring for legalizing pot. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has long promised to legalize recreational pot use and sales. If the legislation passes, Canada would be the largest developed country to end prohibition of recreational marijuana. The Marijuana Task Force, headed by former Canadian Health Minister Anne McClellan, recommended that adults be allowed to carry up to 30 grams of pot for recreational purposes and grow up to four plants. It also recommended that higher potency pot be taxed at a higher rate than weaker strains. It also said recreational marijuana should not be sold in the same location as alcohol or tobacco. Under the proposals, alcohol-free cannabis lounges would be allowed. Montreal police have launched raids against illegal cannabis stores opened one day earlier by the self-proclaimed Prince of Pot, Mark Emery, and his wife, Jody. Emery and his wife were among 10 people arrested in Friday's raids. Police said that all but one person, who refused to sign the release documents, were released on a promise to appear in court. Canada is moving to legalize marijuana, but it remains illegal. Mark Emery has been expanding his chain of dispensaries across Canada, despite the fact that the drug is still illegal. Cannabis Culture, the brand owned by the Emery's, already has a dozen shops. Hundreds of customers lined the street throughout the day on Friday to make their first pot purchases at the Mount Royal Montreal location. The store reportedly sold out of its stock, leaving only cash for the police to find. The Mexican Senate on Tuesday overwhelmingly passed a bill approving the use of marijuana for medicinal purposes, the latest in a series of legal changes and court rulings that have somewhat relaxed cannabis laws in Mexico. The legislation now goes to the lower chamber of deputies for consideration. Some lawmakers argued that the bill does not go far enough because it does not cover individual cultivation of marijuana. Starting last year, the Mexican government began granting permits, letting some patients import medicinal marijuana products. It has also decriminalized small amounts of marijuana and issued several permits for people to cultivate and possess pot for personal use. A voter-approved law allowing adults to possess, grow, and use limited amounts of recreational marijuana took effect Thursday in Massachusetts, but it will still be at least another year before the state issues retail licenses to sell marijuana. For now, that leaves recreational users with little choice but to buy it from illegal dealers. Adults 21 and over may possess up to one ounce of marijuana outside their homes. Adults 21 and over may possess up to 10 ounces of pot inside their homes. The law allows individual adults 21 and over to grow up to six marijuana plants at home and up to 12 plants per household if two or more adults live in the home. And similar to the law that bans open containers of alcohol in a car, you can't have open containers of pot either. That applies whether the car is moving or not and can bring a fine of up to $500. It's okay to have one ounce or less of pot in the car if it's in a sealed container. Possibly the unlikeliest customer of all became the first person to legally buy marijuana in Alaska's largest city. Anna Ercoli, age 81, pulled into Arctic Herbery's small parking lot at 8.30 a.m., three and a half hours before the store was to open, and became the first legal retail marijuana store in Anchorage. Ercoli, a native of Italy who has lived in Anchorage for 45 years, said, quote, I need this medication for me because it works better than taking anti-pain or sleeping pills and not really solving anything, end quote. A member of the girl group Fifth Harmony has been charged with possessing marijuana at Dulles International Airport. Metropolitan Washington Airport's Authority spokesman Rob Yingling says Lauren Yaragui was charged Tuesday by authority police and released on a summons to appear in court. 
The group was formed on The X Factor, won Collaboration of the Year at the American Music Awards last month for Work From Home with Ty Dollar Sign. Jaragui was charged with the $25 fine and released on her own recognizance. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Monday, December 19th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry, one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network. Equio, New Frontier's cutting-edge big data platform, puts the information and answers you need right at your fingertips in real time to help you more effectively run your cannabis business. Go to www.equio.io to sign up for your free membership today. Again, that's www.equio.io. Run with New Frontier and let us help you conquer the wild. This is Cannabis Facts from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. Supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. In 1937, the second most prescribed medicine, marijuana, was banned. It wasn't about marijuana. The paper, oil, and chemical industries lobbied to end hemp farming. No longer labor-intensive, an acre of hemp produced more quality paper than four acres of trees. Plastics and fibers could be produced from a plant. Hemp can even produce 10 times the energy of today's ethanol. As marijuana prohibition ends, many states now allow farmers to again grow hemp. This was Cannabis Facts from the Silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to process America's hemp crop at hempinc.com. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals, or at least they pay me to say that. A public service message from CannabisRadio.com and the Russ Belleville Show. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, I want to talk a little bit about this uh, supposed new rule uh, regarding cannabidiol in America. It's brought up a lot of controversy that has been uh, underlying the entire CBD industry for years now. And this just brings it back to the front burner. And the question being, is CBD oil legal? You'll hear from many of these uh, companies that are selling various hemp oil products that it is. You'll hear their tagline that it's 100% legal in all 50 states. Others in the drug policy movement will tell you, no, CBD is not legal. It is a Schedule One drug. It is part of cannabis. It is not legal. 
And it all hinges on a, a bunch of different uh, court cases and rulings. The idea here that is being promoted by the people in the hemp industries, in these hemp oil industries, is that as long as CBD is derived from hemp stalks, it is legal. That is their position. That's their belief. If it comes from hemp stalks, it's legal. And it's based on a series of court rulings that had to do with the DEA back in the early 2000s trying to shut down the hemp foods industry, trying to shut down hemp seed oil and hemp cake and, and you know hemp lotions and soaps, you know, Dr. Bronner kind of stuff. And it wound its way through the courts and the decisions that were regarding it had to do with the way that the Controlled Substances Act is written that makes marijuana illegal. And the definitions have to do with the plant cannabis sativa and all the seeds and oil and flour and leaf and all the stuff that comes through it. But with an exemption for industrial hemp that if, you know, it's below 0.3 percent THC and it's, you know, it's a fiber crop, then that isn't counted. And the hemp people won this case. The Hemp Industries Association won this case back in the 2000s that allowed hemp seed oil and hemp soaps and hemp lotions. That's why you can get this stuff. At a Whole Foods, you know, you know, at, at, at a market in any state, right? Because it's got no THC in it and it's not falling under the Controlled Substances Act. Well, the problem is that this definition and this uh, these decisions all had to do with something that wasn't being considered any sort of medical uh, uh, substance, any any sort of medicine to be taken. We're talking about hemp soaps, hemp hemp oils. Uh, you know, for, for uh, ingestion, you know, for, for nutrition. Now they're trying to take those same decisions that had to do with those types of hemp-derived products and apply that to cannabidiol being used as a medical uh, substance, being used to, you know, treat epilepsy or whatever. And so this is where the conflict comes because when it comes to any constituent of the cannabis plant, any cannabinoid being used as medicine, that's where it falls under the Controlled Substances Act. It has no medical value and is therefore in Schedule 1 and banned. So what had happened here is that the DEA came out with a new ruling, and, and it's just a, a, a kind of a, an organizational uh, uh, reform at the DEA, which is to come up with a new schedule code or a new coding number for marijuana extracts. And this was to any sort of cannabidiol extract, or for that matter, cannabigerol, cannabichromine, many of the other CBGs, the CBCs and all that. And to indicate this other number to be able to track marijuana extracts of CBD separate than they track THC or separate than they track flour and so forth. So it was really just kind of a paperwork, bureaucratic sort of change. But this let everybody say, oh my God, the DEA is now trying to say cannabidiol is illegal. Well, no, they're not. They're just coming up with a new category for something they believe has always been illegal. The DEA has never, never said that cannabidiol is legal, despite all of these, it's legal in 100% legal in 50 states type companies. Now, these companies think they're interpreting the law correctly. The DEA thinks they're interpreting the law correctly. But none of this has been challenged or tested. So there's a lot of confusion reigning right now over this issue, and to bring some light to this, I'm going to have some guests come on, on the sh- coming on the show this week. 
We're going to hear from Paul Armentano, the deputy director of Normal, one of the most informed people on marijuana issues, who believes strongly that cannabidiol has always been illegal. This doesn't change anything. And these people that are selling these CBD oils are trying to pull a fast one. We'll also hear from a North Carolina attorney who believes the opposite, who believes that the Controlled Substances Act does not allow the DEA to make this decision about cannabidiol. It has to be done by Congress. What is the main food that penguins eat? Spam? So we'll get to the bottom of this CBD ruling this week here on the Russ Belville Show with some of the experts. Because I, I got to tell you, it gets pretty deep into the uh, federal code and, and the court cases. And I'm not sure I can give you an accurate interpretation without some uh, other voices. So we'll find that out. Stay tuned. When we come back, drug war data mining on monitoring the future and teen use. Next to THC and CBD, you can now add CBR to your cannabis vernacular. CBR as in CannabisRadio.com. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. About a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow. The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Himping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor, or are you smoking sun-grown? What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. (laughs) (laughs) Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the, the king, right? You just have you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case. <laughs> <laughs> the Grow Show with Kyle Cushman only on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show. We're as much like Cheech and Chong as ordinary Americans are like the Three Stooges. Hey, Mo. <laughs> At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of The Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition 
of Drug War Data Mining. Today at the Drug War Data Mines, we want to take at the latest information out of the Monitoring the Future study. This has been asking the uh, high school students uh, since 1975, high school seniors since the 1990s, uh, 10th graders and 8th graders, their various perceptions and use of different drugs. And the latest news from the Monitoring the Future study has shown us that despite us legalizing marijuana in now eight states and legalizing medical use in 28 states, the kids are not all turning into pot zombies. What do you know? In fact, uh, the latest numbers that we get here show us that uh, we've got fewer kids using marijuana than we have seen since the height of the drug war in the early 90s. What we've got here is for past month use among eighth graders, we have dropped down to 5.4%. 5.4%. That's down from 6.5% just the year before. So a big drop among eighth graders. Daily use from the eighth graders down to 0.7% from 1.1 the year before. High school seniors, they show 22.5% with past month use and 6% with daily use. That's pretty high, but it's no higher than it's been the past few years, statistically speaking. That is, high school senior use has remained relatively stable since 2012, since we've legalized in these states. And I'll tell you why. It's because high school seniors already got their hookup. (laughs) The idea that legalization was going to somehow lead to more teenagers using marijuana is predicated on the idea that it would somehow be easier for them to get marijuana if it were legal. Folks, it couldn't be any easier for an older teenager to get a hold of marijuana. This same Monitoring the Future study for over 40 years has asked the seniors, how easy would it be for you to get a bag? And between 80 and 90% of them for 40 years, whether use goes up, whether use goes down, whether it's just say no, whether it's Bill Clinton, I didn't inhale, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The same number of kids, more or less, say that marijuana is easy to get. So how could it have gotten any easier Once we started putting it in childproof packages in adults only store where they check your ID before you can even get in. No, the use of marijuana is going up among older folks like me because we didn't have a hookup. We didn't we couldn't go behind the shop class after uh, lunch hour and find our guy. We we're not going to wait 30 minutes in a Walgreens parking lot for a bag that's two grams short and full of sticks and stems. That's 30 minutes late. No, legalizing marijuana is for us, the older adults. For the kids, we're finding their use is going down. Among the 10th graders, cannabis use in the past year among 10th graders is stable, but at the lowest levels in over two decades. Now, that's nationally speaking, but even if you start looking at the states themselves, like Colorado, the uh, federal data released last year showed teen use rates in Colorado and Washington essentially flat. The rates of cannabis use in Colorado's teenagers flat since 2012, according to the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. The uh, levels of teen use in Colorado have not increased since they've ended prohibition and remain lower than the national average. In California, where they've got, you know, it's always been quasi-legal there in California. As an 18-year-old, you can walk into a, a dock in the box and claim you've got anxiety I've got a, I've got anxiety. I'm afraid of getting arrested and get your medical card. They've seen no significant difference 
in their teen usage. The studies that come out in this, the Lancet Psychiatry Study, showed no significant difference in adolescent cannabis use in states that have medical cannabis laws. Over 24 years of data, a million teenagers in 48 states, no difference. It doesn't seem to have any effect. And what's really fun about this is to see how the the uh, longtime drug warriors can't wrap their mind around what's going on here. It's they for so long have been predicting the worst would happen if we were to legalize marijuana. And yet they're not seeing they're not able to figure out why. When we um, this is from Dr. Nora Volkoff. She is the director of the National Institute of Drug Abuse in Huffington Post. She writes. It was also reassuring to see that despite concern that wider availability and softening attitudes toward marijuana would lead to increased use by teens, use has remained relatively stable over the last decade. We cannot become complacent, however. Marijuana use still remains high among teens who stand to be adversely affected, yada, 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 6%, yada, yada. When she was asked in another story that I was uh, reporting on this, uh, she just was baffled. So we, we can't explain it. What do you know? We legalized pot and, and the kids didn't turn all into pot zombies. This is some of the data that we're getting from monitoring, monitoring the future. We're also finding that other mar- marks of drug use are down as well. Any illicit drug down binge drinking down. Many of these cigarette smoking at historically low levels. And it's always funny to me how our opponents are very quick to jump on a correlation when it works their direction, right? If, if, if marijuana happens and then something bad happens, ah, see, marijuana made things, made bad things happen. But when we see marijuana use remaining steady, when we see the laws around marijuana being relaxed for adults, and then we see fewer opioid overdoses, we see less or fewer kids binge drinking, we see fewer kids using illicit drugs, Boy, they don't jump at that correlation then, do they? Boy, they don't, they're not uh, willing to say, well, look, we legalized marijuana and look at all the good things that are happened. No, they never look at it that way, do they? Well, I guess that's why I'm here, right? To look at it for them. <laughs> all right, stay tuned, folks. We've got Dr. Mitch Earlywine joining us for our last cannabis Q&A segment of 2016. We got pregnancy and parenting and sex and basketball. Stay tuned. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Keep your cannabis cravings under control. Feed your mind with CannabisRadio.com. The National Cannabis Industry Association presents the Seed to Sale Show, January 31st and February 1st at the Colorado Convention Center in Denver. Register now at www.seedtosaleshow.com or 888-409-4418. The NCIA Seed to Sale Show, the largest cannabis business event to be held in Denver, will host over 2,000 cannabis professionals and focus on innovations and technology in cultivation infused products and extraction and sales strategies the show will recognize the best in the industry with the cannavation and canna tech awards 
Register before January 6th for $100 savings at seedtosaleshow.com. Use the code RADIO15 for an additional 15% off. Plan your experience now for the NCIA Seed to Sale Show, January 31st and February 1st. Seedtosaleshow.com or 888-409-4418. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. Get the latest updates on The Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking The Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. It's time for the Russ Belleville Show's Cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Dr. Earlywine is a professor of psychology at the State University of New York at Albany and a leading author and researcher on cannabinoids and health who pins the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times Magazine. Get your questions ready in our live chat or call in to 971-533-7111 now. All right, welcome back, everybody. Quick reminder, we've got a new phone number here at the Russ Belleville Show. It's 650-LEGAL-MJ. That's 650-534-2565 if you've got a call for Dr. Mitch. And we welcome Dr. Mitch Earlywine back for our final Q&A segment of 2016. Hi, Dr. Mitch. Woohoo! Yay! Hey, are you snowed in up there in uh, Albany? It's not too bad. Yeah, we actually got snow that's stuck here in Portland, and of course, the entire Metroplex shuts down. They can't take it out here. It's nothing like Albany. Oh, boy. All right, let's get to some of the questions and, and studies that we've got on tap here, because there's a lot to get through. Been on vacation a couple of weeks. And uh, the first one we have to look at here is a Bristol University study coming out of the UK that, uh, boy, this is, a, this is a bizarro study coming out of the UK saying that cannabis may not cause schizophrenia. My goodness, are they coming around on this, Dr. Mitch? Well, we've had slight evidence in this direction before where maybe folks are using cannabis to self-medicate when they have some modest psychotic symptoms, and they've got some data that are consistent with that. Uh, Thornycraft talked about this in 1990. Uh, I've talked about this before in work that goes completely unsighted. So I guess uh, we're just going to have to say it again and again until people come up with the idea that maybe uh, cannabis doesn't cause schizophrenia. Is this one where, you know, a little dabble do you kind of thing where it's a moderate amount, but if you use too much, it starts to push things the other direction? Do we see any of that in the data? This was actually a study of initiation. So it turned out the folks who already had these sort of modest psychotic-like symptoms were more likely to start in the first place. 
Oh, okay. Got that. So uh, what we've been saying about the whole self-medication thing uh, is beginning to look like it's a little more uh, getting some getting some backing to it in the st- in the science. Exactly. That's, that's good to hear. Okay. Uh, we've uh, we've heard this many times, you know, with this uh, cannabis and schizophrenia. And uh, I always like to point to the stat that showed, you know, for the past hundred years, what schizophrenia remains around one one percent of the population, whether there's a lot of tokers or few tokers. Isn't that right? Exactly. It's just a little under 1%. And now that we've got better prenatal care, it's dropping to, you know, say between 0.5 and 1%. And I think really this is uh, partly a product of some deviant diagnostic situations and some of the self-report measures that ask uh, questions that uh, are loosely associated with schizophrenia are actually things that uh, tokers might endorse anyway, simply because... uh, we are part of an underground culture and have some of our own language. Mm, good point. Now, our next uh, study is really more of a survey that's finding, you know, we've, we've talked about the issue of uh, cannabis use during pregnancy, good, bad, healthy, unhealthy, but this is just, are they doing it? And we're finding more U.S. women are using cannabis during their pregnancy. And what does this tell us about uh, their possible health outcomes? Are we seeing any increases in problems uh, with birth? Well, so that's the irony is we really don't know if this is a problem or not. We've had some data where there are modest increases in likelihood of ending up in the NICU. And then another data set where it said, oh, your kid is more likely to have ADHD, but then they didn't look at ADHD in the moms. But all we've got here is just that it's more likely that folks uh, who are pregnant are using it. I can't say if it's a bad thing or a good thing, and if we do have negative uh, outcomes associated with it, it, it's probably not going to show up for a couple of decades. Well, this kind of ties into uh, another thing that I'd picked up on National Public Radio, this uh, story they did about doctors saying parenting and pot smoking don't mix. And and part of this uh, story talked about new new surveys, new uh, uh, tests that they have to be able to detect uh, marijuana metabolites in the children of cannabis consumers, Uh, not from the mother passing it on in the womb or anything, but just like secondhand smoke exposure. And they're trying to say, oh, this secondhand cannabis smoke, it's as bad as secondhand tobacco smoke. What's the real deal in this study here, in this information? I mean, in fact, what this is suggesting is uh, there might be <laughs> some, but again, it's at levels that are just so low that uh, even if it is detectable, it doesn't necessarily lead to some kind of uh, deficit in the kids. But yeah, the bottom line is, hey, don't don't hotbox the car with the kid in it. And, and it, it, when I was listening to this and, and, and read some of the follow-ups on it too, I was kind of, I, I kind of had that same reaction. It's like, oh, you detected small levels of metabolites in children. And? Exactly. <laughs> like, what else is there? <laughs> is there, is there a, they, they, they go off this a priori assumption that if we find it in the kid, it is therefore bad without uh, any follow-up on to is that actually the case. And and we often talk, too, when we, um, when we discuss this whole pot and parenting thing, uh, the idea of whether or not, you know, just morally or ethically speaking, parents ought to smoke pot in front of their kids. Is there any social science research on that as to whether or not, you know, kids that see their parents smoking pot are more likely to do it or not? Do we know anything in that regard? As it turns out, they are, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're more likely to develop problems with it. So it it, it ends up being uh, a strange situation where, yes, like breeds like. We also have, you know, 
folks who see their parents drink are more likely to drink. Folks who see their parents vote Republican are more likely to vote Republican. So it just doesn't doesn't really have uh, uh, much of uh, beyond a standard modeling result. Well, uh, of those outcomes, I think the kids smoking the pot is probably the least harmful for society. <sighs> All right. <Definitely. laughs> it is the the electoral college's meeting today, so I, I just came to my mind. <laughs> There's a, another study that uh, that piled up over the last couple of weeks here about marijuana's you know regular cannabis use possibly affecting our vision. And as a guy who recently had to get glasses, that was of concern to me. Is there anything to this? I'm afraid I've got the cheaters for my reading things as well. But what what happened here is that basically there's a 10 millisecond delay in one of the visual processing uh, components of the brain. And that 10 milliseconds is super critical if you're playing video games. Oh, so so all these video gamers that I that I've heard of that uh, you know, like to smoke pot, they may actually be doing themselves a disservice to their video game skills. They're going to have to practice a lot harder. <laughs> well, that the pot might make that a little bit easier to do, I'd imagine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it's good to hear that, that. So, so this is not anything with the actual vision, but like the tracking or how quickly we pick something out of uh, the. There, there's a ganglion in in the brain involved in the way uh, we perceive color and and other aspects of vision, and it just seems to fire up a little more slowly in folks who who use cannabis seven days a week. And and ten milliseconds, uh, I don't we, is that like a the blink of an eye, isn't it? Quite literally, yes. <laughs> okay, well, this it comes back to you know when I hear those studies that say, well, marijuana use is going to cost this many points of IQ, and it's like, well, how smart am I supposed to be? How how quick do my eyes have to work? It's, it's as if, you know, any tiny little deficit is reason enough to lock people up over it. Makes no sense to me. Well, we have no idea how many stats they ran before they found this one. <laughs> this is the one they could finally find any bad part for. Exactly. Good point. Exactly. Well, uh, following up, you know, over the uh, the last week, a beloved sportscaster, a guy named Craig Sager, passed away, who's always had a, a I've had a soft spot in my heart for him because of the way he dresses. I just love his outrageous suits. But that leads me to a basketball uh, story. Uh, Chauncey Billups, a, a basketball player, former player, said that some of the players who smoked pot before they played NBA ball, we're talking, you know, pro league ball, played better. And he attributed it to them, you know, in a big game situation, reducing the anxiety uh, that they might feel before the game. Didn't have anything to do with their shooting touch or ability to dribble or anything. But that leads me to wonder, uh, could we see a point at which the sporting leagues may consider marijuana not a, uh, you know, a, a bad drug because it's illegal, but a bad drug because it's performance enhancing? Well, if there's a if there's a Twinkie at stake, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not for the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. Uh, <laughs> right. No, I, I I do think that there probably is kind of an inverted U where too much would actually impair but that a little bit might might help folks, particularly if uh, it's a you know a focusing strain or one that is going to decrease pregame jitters. But all in all, I, I I don't see it making a big impact either way. And it seems unfair that folks who play professional sports, particularly a sport that is prone to some inflammatory related injuries, 
those guys don't have access to medical cannabis, and that's just that's just a shame. You know, I think with eight legal states now, you got Massachusetts. There's the Boston Celtics, right? California, you got a few, you know, Lakers and Kings and Warriors. Got a bunch of teams out there that are playing in the legal states. Let's just let those teams smoke it up before the game and see how well the records turn out. This could be our own little experiment, Doctor Mitch. It seems like a natural experiment waiting to happen. <laughs> Randomly selected, maybe not so much, but uh, <laughs> all right. And our last study that we're taking a look at for the day, uh, we're going to wind this one up, it says a new study suggests marijuana could be a miracle drug in the bedroom. Ooh, what's going on here, Dr. Mitch? Uh, unfortunately, this is actually a review of studies from back in the day, and I actually mentioned these in my book, Understanding Marijuana. But yeah, small doses seem to uh, have at least men and sometimes women report uh, improved sexual functioning. I should add, it is not a lubricant. <laughs> and, and isn't there an issue in that's almost like an anti-lubricant where we're talking uh, for women in the case that, you know, just like you get dry mouth, is, is there anything to that? All mucous membranes dry, I'm afraid, so keep your uh, astroglide handy. And, and so this, uh, you know, I, 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 we've got some of these products that are being manufactured now uh, in the legal states, these uh, these uh, sexual aids, uh, lubricants and, and uh, suppositories, all sorts of things. Is there a is there a conflict there having a, a cannabis infused lube? Is it like putting a humidifier and a dehumidifier in the same room and letting them fight it out? I'm afraid there are some parallels, but if uh, if the lube is a good one, having a little THC uh, might make the rest of the experience uh, improved as well. All right. Well, folks, uh, we're running out of time here with Dr. Mitch. It's our last uh, shot here at the end of 2016, and I want to thank you, Dr. Mitch, for joining us for yet another year and giving us uh, the benefit of all your research and uh, and knowledge. Hey, it's really a pleasure, and I'm looking forward to doing the same next year. Now, you're still with the uh, the uh, Burning Issues podcast? Indeed, and we should have another one up uh, probably a week from today. What are you covering in the next episode? So I've got uh, an interview in the can with uh, Ashley Grace of CW Hemp. That's going to be on the show Hempire. And uh, Stacy Gruber, I should, uh, the Harvard researcher who does uh, neuropsych testing with folks who use cannabis, and that should be coming up soon as well. And uh, real quick before we let you go, we talked briefly, and we're going to get Paul Armentano on the show probably tomorrow, but uh, the DEA and its uh, scheduling rule on CBD, do you see anything new there, or has CBD, in your opinion, always been illegal? It, it's been Schedule 1 since day one. I uh, am sorry for the folks who've been you know shipping it and, and getting the gums and things like that. I do think it's completely non-psychoactive and utterly harmless, so I have no idea why it's illegal, but I've been saying that about cannabis for years. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. And folks, uh, you can email Dr. Mitch at 420research at gmail.com if you got a private question. We'll talk to you in 2017. Have a happy Hanukkah and a happy New Year, Dr. Mitch. You too, man. Take care. All Bye. right. Stay tuned, folks. We'll have time for a Radical Rant. Going to talk about can you be a cannabis capitalist and a marijuana activist at the same time? I think you can. We'll be right back. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. From dabs to chibas, sativas to indicas, we roll out a whole concentrate of fresh new content every week. It's like going from the greenhouse to the dispensary. CannabisRadio.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. 
Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the host of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, where we don't change our mind on decriminalization during an election year. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. Well, 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 I was just in Florida the last two or three days, and while I was down there following up on the news, when I caught word of the arrest of the Prince of Pot, Mark Emery, great friend to the show, great friend of the legalization movement, Mark Emery, up in Montreal, being arrested by the police there for opening up six more of the cannabis culture dispensary locations, and... Mark was arrested. Jody was also arrested later, uh, according to my Twitter timeline, as well as Jeremiah Vandermeer uh, from Cannabis Culture, uh, one of their uh, assistants, uh, does a lot of the web work, a lot of their pot TV work. Good guy. And following the arrests, of course, uh, Jody and, and others have been speaking out on the fact that the Trudeau government the liberals ran on the pol- the platform that they would legalize marijuana and have been dragging their feet. They've been, you know, just kind of dilly-dallying on the issue. So cannabis culture is moving forward and starting and opening these shops. And so the mayor of Montreal, in a series of tweets in French that I had translated, uh, basically responded with, the law is the law. You must follow the law. The law has not changed yet. And uh, you must face the consequences and you would be better off trying to change the law than trying to do some PR stunt. This terrible stunt you've done. 
I know, lousy French accent for a guy with a French surname, I know. <laughs> but anyway, the, uh, the, the mayor's point, uh, Dennis Cordaire, Cordell, something like that. The mayor's point was, well, it's illegal. The law is the law. And it seems to me a little, I don't know, um, it seems, it seems to me that you're, you're, you're just nitpicking a little bit at this point. The people want the law changed. The government wants to change the law. But while it's still illegal, you're going to go way out of your way to make sure to bust people and to, to bust it all up. Don't start without us, basically. And that's been the response from Justin Trudeau as well, is that it's still the law. We haven't legalized yet. Hold your horses, basically. Well, as far as whether or not this is a PR stunt, this is where I want to take the rant today it, it is the idea of capitalism and activism. Because as I was discussing this online, I was making some jabs about, you know, the law is the law, Mrs. Parks. You must sit in the back of the bus, right? You know, this idea that when people are fighting for civil liberties, and let's be clear, access to cannabis is a civil liberty. I've discussed it many times on this show. It comes out of the, it comes out of the ground and nobody's got the right to tell you you can't use it or have it. This is a civil right, a civil liberty. And I, you know, people bristle sometimes when I compare it to things like Rosa Parks and the Selma Bridge and, and Stonewall riots and stuff like that. But it is similar, if not in the size or scope, at least in the spirit. And it's the idea that sometimes you got to make the establishment uncomfortable. Sometimes you got to push the limits. Sometimes you got to break the law, especially if it's an unjust law. And what could be more unjust than stopping people who want to sell cannabis from selling it to people who want to buy it in a country where people want that to happen and the government has said they want to make that happen and just recently a task force came out and said it should happen. It's just petty to want to keep enforcing the law. I mean, here in Oregon, we had a whole bunch of places that opened that were these dispensaries way before our dispensaries were legal. They start opening around 2011, 2012. They start popping up all around. By 2013, our legislators are touring these places to get an idea as they write the law, how are we going to do it? How's it going to work? What are the practicalities involved? They wouldn't have had that if those people hadn't stepped up and started running their dispensaries illegally. And ironically, the, uh, the, the drug task forces, like the week before this uh, 2013 law was supposed to go into effect, they conducted an operation storefront. They conducted these raids and raided three of the best places, like the ones that the government was modeling the law on, the ones that were doing it the right way, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's and checking the IDs and, and logging the medicine and following the limits and all that kind of stuff you'd want people to do under a law. They went and busted them <laughs> because it was their last chance to bust somebody. And, and similarly, that's what Mark and Jody are doing in Canada right now. They're trying to set a standard of here's what a professional, well-run responsible type of cannabis outlet can be. Now I visited their stores in, in Vancouver while I was up there 
and very similar to what you'd find in any of the legal states here. Storefronts and IDs checked and nice displays and weed under glass and some security and some video cameras and so forth. This is this is what we want to see happen here in Oregon. When we passed our legalization, it didn't go into effect immediately. Right. We passed it in November of 2014. It didn't go into effect until July 1st of 2015. So there were seven months, December through June, where weed was illegal to possess. It was still you could still get a ticket for possession. You could still get a misdemeanor or felony for greater possession or growing or selling and all that kind of stuff. Right. But most of our DAs. After Measure 91 passed, most of the DAs stopped taking any more of these cases. They could have. They could have been like the mayor of Montreal and said, oh, the law is the law. It has not changed yet. They could have done that. They could have busted more people. They could have taken more cop time and ruined more lives. But they didn't because they realized, hey, the people have spoken here. And the wheels of bureaucracy turn slowly. But the principle of the people wanting to end arrests over marijuana shouldn't. John Kerry, when he was uh, coming back from Vietnam back in the day, stood before a, a Senate committee and asked, how can you ask the last man to how can you ask a man to be the last man to die for a mistake? Right. And, and that principle is how, who's going to be the last person you bust after the people have already said they shouldn't be busted. The people of Canada don't want it, people busted anymore. People in the United States don't want people busted anymore. This whole continent <laughs> is getting to a point, well, maybe not Mexico. They're highly religious and conservative on the issue. But at least in Canada and the United States, you know, 60% in the United States, I don't know what the latest poll is up in Canada, but I know it's over 50, that support legalization. In America right now, you got one out of five American adults living in a state where it's legal. Another two out of five living where it's medical. 60% of our population lives where there's at least medical access. And 60% think it ought to be legal. So what is the point, Montreal mayor, of making these bus? To dissuade other people from opening their shops too early? Okay. And if you succeed at that, then what? It becomes legal, and then what? People open shops. And so what harm was created in the couple of months before it was legal that wasn't created in the couple of months after it was legal? You getting your tax cut, right? You're getting your piece of the pie. You having some say over how it's done. But it's not as if Mark and Jody are trying to open up these uh, uh, wild west unregulated, crazy sorts of places. They, they have good procedures going on. They're making sure people's IDs are checked. My ID was checked. I got gray in the temples, man. Hair coming out the ears. Wrinkles around my eyes. They're still checking my ID to make sure I'm at least 19. <laughs> yeah, I'm like three times 19 almost. Two times 19 at least. Two and a half, something like that. It's just ridiculous. And as far as can you be a capitalist and an activist, one of the people arguing with me about this said well you know don't believe their vows of poverty they're not just opening these things for legal to try to flout the law they're trying to make money okay what's wrong with that as far as i'm concerned since 2010 i've seen the profit motive 
I've seen money, both in the idea of people making businesses to make money and states hoping hoping to make tax money, in both cases. I've seen that move marijuana policy more in the past six years than all the hippy-dippy love fairy wish and hope kind of stuff has done in the three decades prior. We'll talk a little bit more about that in hour two, but that's all the time I got here for hour one. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. we got another hour coming. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Where you can tope. I inhale uh, frequently. Or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about tope on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard. Have a ball. Live from beautiful Poplin, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Freedom, freedom. Hey, this is great. Freedom, Yes, not cannabis. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and and the the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Gonta Graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer-mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. All that. Sit, sit, boy. Sit. Sit. Good dog. Good dog. Yeah. Today's show dedicated to the memory of my dog, Waskatelli. Yeah, my dog died last Friday. Got hit by a car. Happens sometimes, but it's the damnedest circumstance. See, my ex-wife lives down there in uh, in Florida and got hit by that hurricane. It tore up her roof and it tore up uh, the skylights in her house, right? So she uh, had these roofers there. Six or seven guys working on the roof. Pound, pound, pound. Saw, saw, saw. Buzz, buzz, buzz. So the dog's all, you know, kind of hyper as it is. And then one of them left the door open. He got out. Now... Here's where it gets weird. The uh, road he got hit on is a mile away from the house. 
And my dog's not the kind of dog to like sprint and take off for a mile. He had to be chased that way. So it's a little it's a little uh, disheartening to me. A little bit of a bummer, but. Um, uh, I've got his stuff. I've got his uh, remains, and I also brought home his like dog bed and all that kind of stuff because I'm going to get a new dog, folks. So uh, be on the listen because some show in the future I'll be telling you all about my brand new dog. Uh, my brand new dog, by the way, he's already got a name. I haven't got the dog yet, but I already have the dog name. He will be named uh, Buford T. Justice. <laughs> That's right. I've decided to name all my dogs. After fictional redneck Southern sheriffs, <laughs> Roscoe P. Coltrane, Buford T. Justice. If you if you know of any other fictional redneck Southern sheriff names, <laughs> send them my way. Those I thought of Buford Pusser too from Walking Tall, but I didn't want to have two dogs named Buford. So anyway, I'm also back from vacation. Uh, spent uh, ten days in Jamaica, and it was phenomenal, folks. It was amazing. But I gotta say. We do weed so much better here in America. Got I got to have it. You know, got hands down to the American weed compared to the Jamaican weed, which is not necessarily to say that the Jamaican weed was bad or by any means, but it's just you know not the same potency. It's just it's it outdoor grown. Had to pick out the occasional seed. That was that was like whoa seeds, <laughs> like wow. But I have to pick pick out the occasional seed, and it's like. It's not potent enough to really get me where I need to go. You know, you know, like when you have a boat and you're trying to bail out a boat and if you have if you don't have a big enough uh, uh, pump or a big enough bucket that you're just, you know, you're staying at the same level. That's what it feels like smoking the Jamaican weed. It's like I, I smoke the weed. and It's like I'm already sober by the time I've spent that one joint. So I got to smoke another one. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we, now the other side of that, of course is that for what you will spend on a sandwich baggie of weed in the States will get you a shopping baggie, you know, one of those plastic shopping bags full of ganja in Jamaica. So there is that. There is at least plenty to smoke. Got to give them that. But it's a beautiful thing. I learned to snorkel. That was great. Saw a bunch of fish. Saw an eagle ray. Saw a nurse shark. Saw some barracuda. That was fun. We'll talk more about that and uh, the rest of my vacation. But also coming up here in this uh, hour two, in our next segment, we got some reefer madness to debunk. You remember that uh, that guy, that radio host guy in Twin Falls, Idaho, who piped up the other day? Well, he's at it again, Bill Collier. So I got to attack that one. And then uh, we'll talk a little bit about democracy because the Electoral College is voting today to ensconce Donald Trump as our president. And um, I'm going to tell you how we can fix American democracy. And it doesn't even involve getting rid of the Electoral College. That's all coming up. Plus your calls at 650-LEGAL-MJ. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Legal to listen to all over the world. We're just not sure about France. Cannabisradio.com. While the feds and state are doing their dance, you still need to transact business and manage your cash. Go professional and let your customers pay with PayQuick. They pay you and they earn rewards points. 
PayQuick connects to your bank account for free and secures all of your transactions. And with PayQuick, you can pay your producers and processors for free. Plus, it pays to have it because it makes depositing your cash safe and so easy. No cops, no crooks, just compliance and comfort, knowing you have your cannabis business in check with PayQuick. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Candid. I want to give you the inside story. Captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends. Compelling. We get to meet some of the most amazing cannabis activists and warriors around. Listen in as medical marijuana pioneer Dr. Dina shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. I want to share with you what was once confidential information. Let's expose the truth, discuss the issues, and learn the facts. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest growing business association in the fastest growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel One on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Marijuana is an addictive drug which produces in its users insanity, criminality, and death. Marijuana is the most violence-causing drug in the history of mankind. If the hideous monster Frankenstein came face-to-face with the monster of marijuana, he dropped it from fright. Fright. You know, it's not easy countering seven decades of propaganda in a two-hour show, but let's try. It's time time for the the Russ Belleville Show's Show's Reefer Madness Madness Debunked. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's uh, nine after the hour, and for our Reefer Madness Debunk today, we take a look at an opinion piece published on Fox News Radio's 1310 KLIX News and Talk Radio in Twin Falls, Idaho. Of course, Idaho being my birth state. And uh, the title of this one's called Marijuana, the drug of choice for teenage killers. (laughs) Yeah, marijuana, the drug of choice for teenage killers. There we go. That's better. And it's by Bill Colley, who's this guy that um, we uh, we ran with one of his uh, reefer madness uh, screeds the other day. And. um, this one opens up uh, the picture too that they uh, they open up with is a arm lying on the ground near a lighter, a spoon, and a needle. You know, because we're all about shooting up the weed. <laughs> it's a short piece by Bill Colley. I'll just read you the whole thing because it's short, it's short enough here, and um, try to uh, <laughs> if you're drinking coffee or any other liquid. Uh, put it down for now because you don't want to do the spit take all over your monitor. Okay, so let me uh, let me bring this up to you. This is Bill Colley for the uh, NewsRadio1310.com. 
America's dope dealers are scoring some new victories, and the Grim Reaper is a busy spirit. Maybe you haven't seen the story out of Massachusetts. A teenage boy had his head and arms allegedly removed by a friend after the pair shared a few joints. It's a good thing marijuana is harmless, but unfortunately the headless boy is dead from some unkind cuts. In Philadelphia's Kensington neighborhood, the death toll from drug overdoses is nine in just one and a half days. Kensington is a community probably smaller than Boise and maybe not much larger than Twin Falls. Having lately been the target of the dope fiend crowd, I guess I'm not making any efforts for peaceful coexistence. Pity, as I so wanted to be loved by fiends, perverts, and junkies now at air temperature. I'll wager marijuana wasn't just the gateway drug for the Massachusetts killer, but the dead as well in Pennsylvania. All right, Bill, let's tackle this. It's amazing how it's, it's like as marijuana becomes more and more legal and more and more people are accepting it, the reefer madness is becoming far more potent, right? It's almost like the iron law of prohibition. You prohibit something and the dr- drug becomes more potent. Here, we're eliminating prohibition, so the reefer madness is becoming more potent. They're able to, to cram more madness into smaller paragraphs. Now... Unfortunately for Bill, uh, I looked shit up. So I went and looked up this story of the teenager out of Massachusetts. And indeed, it's a pretty grisly story. 15-year-old teenager uh, lures a 16-year-old friend out in the woods, stabs him, mutilates the body, hacks the head off. The body was so mutilated that it took 11 hours to conduct the autopsy. Okay, so yeah, we're not talking about something that's like... uh, But Bill Colley wants you to think that These two kids are just hanging out, having a good time. They smoke a couple of joints. The 15-year-old goes psycho and cuts up the 16-year-old. Folks, that is not at all what is behind this story. I looked it up. It's in the Boston Globe. You can look it up, too. And uh, here's the part that he conveniently left out. This is a quote from the Boston Globe story. Classmates Nishia Torres, 16, and Isaiah Vazquez, 17, described Borges as a quiet teenager with anger issues. Quote, he was scary, said Vasquez, who added that Borges was friends with her brother. Quote, he was negative to be around. He seemed mad at the world, end quote. And Torres added, quote, you don't see him with a smile. He would always get in a lot of fights, end quote. So, Mr. Caller, this is a, this is just a case of a bad kid. This kid was just uh, messed up. Plain and simple. Smoke pot or not smoke pot. This kid just had some problems. People don't go from zero to decapitation murder over a joint. Now, I know a guy like Bill here is going to try to argue, oh, well, he was a bad kid, but maybe he wouldn't have killed anyone if he hadn't smoked pot. Hey, maybe he would have taken an assault rifle to the entire class if he hadn't smoked pot. I mean, we don't know. You can't make arguments like that. (laughs) What we've got here is a grisly, terrible murder by a kid who obviously, obviously has some sociopathic issues going on. The weed didn't make that happen. And besides, Bill, if you want to play this game, this 
post hoc ergo propter hoc game. You know, this this happened and that happened, so this must have caused that. No. If you want to play that game, then I'd encourage you to take a look at the uh, domestic violence, take a look at murder, take a look at all these cases, and find how many of them were drinking that day. I'll wait. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty significant number there, isn't it, Bill? Yeah. I'll tell you what, Bill, I got some homework for you. Here's some homework for you, because I've actually done this in many states, in red states, blue states, green states, every color state. I've done this. Find yourself some cops. Ask them about the contributions of alcohol to their domestic violence calls. Ask them about how often when they go to a domestic violence call, it's because alcohol was involved. Or if they have to go to some sort of stabbing or shooting. How many times is alcohol involved? Okay. Then ask them how many times they've had to go rushing to some house because the wife was getting beat up by her pothead husband. Yeah, they smoked a little too much pot. The next thing you know, they're beating the hell out of each other. How many times have they gotten that call, Bill? We'll wait. Go look that up. Because I'll tell you, when I talk to the cops all around the country, overwhelmingly they tell me it's the alcohol that's the problem. Overwhelmingly they tell me, no, weed, it's not a problem. I have people causing problems with weed. The only problem that gets caused with weed is when there's violence over the dealing of weed because it's illegal, right? You don't see Dos Equis and Corona shooting it out in the streets of Mexico, right? Because there's legal venues to sell those products. And when there's conflicts between sellers, there's legal venues to take those conflicts. There's courts, there's lawsuits, there's arbitrators, there's negotiations that can happen. The only harm being caused by marijuana is due to its illegality. There are 30 million of us out here that are smoking pot, Bill. 30 million. If there was some sort of causality to violence, you'd have a bloodbath every hour in this country with how many of us are smoking pot. Come on now, get real. The violent crime rates are at some of their lowest recorded levels ever. And acceptance of marijuana is at some of its highest recorded levels ever. How come that post hoc ergo propter hoc doesn't work for you? How come you can't look at that as a causality and say, hey, look, as we've relaxed marijuana laws, people have chilled the fuck out. <laughs> Stop beating each other up and shooting each other. How come that doesn't work? And by the way, I'm not suggesting that's the cause of our lower crime rates. I actually think the Freakonomics guys are right in this issue where the legality of abortion has a lot to do with why our crime rates are down. But that's Freakonomics. You can look it up yourself. <laughs> this reefer man is uh, this other one, too. You know, where he tries to say, oh, in the Kensington neighborhood of Philadelphia, drug overdoses nine in just one and a half days. Okay, you want to take a look at the statistics and the studies, the numerous ones now that have been backing up the point that there is a 25 percent reduction in drug overdose deaths, in opioid overdose deaths in places that have greater access to cannabis. This is not one of the uh, correlative, speculative type of things or anecdotal. This is actual science, Bill. <laughs> science that tells us you give people access to cannabis, they're less likely to die 
from those opiate overdoses. 36 hours, nine fatal ODs in this Kensington area. Fentanyl-laced heroin is believed to have caused those overdoses. And here's something that most people don't understand about opioids and, and heroin and all that, overdoses. Most people, believe it or not, don't want to die, right? Most people that want to do heroin would like to get high or get not sick and not die. That, that would be the goal. And most people that do their drugs know how much they can do, know how to do it. They, they got their little protocol down. The problem that comes along is when you're used to taking X amount of heroin day after day, you're used to that X amount, and then X comes with Y, some fentanyl, which is 50 to 100 times more potent. Now, suddenly, your X plus Y equals OD. Next thing you know, you're dead. Not through your fault. You were being responsible. You were taking the same amount that you're used to taking. But because of an unregulated, untested market that gave you a tainted product. I don't have those overdose problems in inside in these Vancouver, British Columbia assisted, supervised, medically pure heroin injection sites. Ah, so frustrating. Hey, it's 420 here. Let's take our break. Let's get safe. And when we come back, I'm going to save democracy in six easy ways. Being green is good. Growing green is good. Making green is great. CannabisRadio.com The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Responsibly, were no longer criminals. This is what freedom sounds like. Brought to you by Portland Normal. Marijuana is not addictive, but listening to the Russ Belleville show is. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, 
or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your Fired Up Lawyer, or email firedaplawyer at gmail.com. Pod 2.0. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. <laughs> this is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. 23 after the hour. And uh, as I mentioned before I went on vacation, I'm going to take some time in hour two from, from time to time, maybe not every day, but a little more often, to uh, talk about just politics in general. Yeah, uh, this is Toker Talk Radio this hour, too, and so it's going to be talk radio. We're going to talk about politics from a Toker's point of view. So we'll have some focus on what different politics means as far as how it's going to affect marijuana and legalization and so forth. But we're also just going to talk about politics. So I wanted to bring up the Electoral College vote that's happening today. There's been a lot of talk about this because of this idea of there being faithless electors or Hamilton electors, people that are upset at the uh, election of Donald Trump when he's received 2.8 million fewer popular votes. They're upset about that because they, Oh, it's not fair. It's not the majority, but it never has been folks. It's always been this electoral college and the electoral college was basically set up by our founders to help protect the slave States. That's let's just be honest. That's what it was for is to make the Southerners feel good about, you know, that they weren't going to be taken over by. Of course, the northern states had greater populations. So if it was just one man, one vote. And also remember, we had that three fifths compromise where we could say that the slaves being owned in the south were worth three fifths of a man when it came to apportionment for representatives and senators. And well, I mean, representatives, I should say. So there's all sorts of things that are antiquated about the Electoral College. Uh, the biggest problem, I'd say, is that how it gives disproportionate power to the smaller states. You got a situation where in California, there's 55 electoral votes, but there's 38 million people. And then you got Wyoming. It's got three electoral votes, but it's only got like 500,000 people. And that makes a Wyoming elector beholden to fewer voters. That is, the voters in Wyoming have more power than the voters in California. So it, it does violate, in a sense, that sort of one man, one vote idea. But the Electoral College also has kind of a noble idea, and that is that you're not just winning votes, you're winning states. And that this is a United States, and, and as, particularly when you think back to the founding, it was a much more of a confederate, confederacy, federation sort of idea, where you were a Virginian first. You, you lived in, and were part of the state of Virginia, which was one of the states in the United States. They didn't think of themselves the same way we do now in a more federal sense, in a more American, you're an American first, and then you happen to live in Oregon, right? But it was much more state aligned back then. So there's a sort of elegance to what they were thinking of there. But the other part that's bringing up this whole electoral college issue is the tampering from Russia. And, you know, we can discuss what, how effective it was, to me, it's the asymmetrical warfare aspect of it, right? It's like the fact that it was all going against the Dems, but nobody was hacking the Republican committee and releasing their emails, right? It, it was kind of lopsided, whether or not it had the effect or not, irrelevant in this case. They were trying to affect our election. And so there's this been this call for some of these electors then to 
vote their conscience, to vote against Trump or to not vote Trump or vote Kasich or something, right? To deny Trump getting in or at least to throw the election to the House and maybe give some time for some investigation on how much collusion there was Russia and I mean, given who Donald Trump's putting in his administration these days, too, you know, this Lord, this uh, secretary of state guy who's tied up with Russia and so forth. I mean, it's remarkable to see the party of Reagan. Oh, they're an evil empire, that Russia. Remarkable to see the party of Reagan uh, just loving that. You see the Republican uh, uh, approval ratings for for Vladimir Putin have gone through the roof lately. (laughs) Right. There you go. That's your that's your true America. Anyway. With respect to all of this, I've been thinking a lot, and I I thought a lot over vacation about this, of of, of what do we do? What do we do to fix some of these things that are wrong with democracy? Because I've had a lot of discussions and debates with people over third parties, and how do we get more third parties in? How do we break the Democrats and Republicans being so corporate and, and, and paid off with money? You know, Citizens United, abolish the Electoral College. I don't think we need to do those things. I think there are some things we can do that would make it uh, a little better for our democracy. Now, the unfortunate thing is I don't think any of these things will happen. <laughs> that's, the, uh, that's the bad part. The uh, Electoral College has selected Donald Trump. Um, he's gotten at least 270. We don't know what his total is yet. I'm still looking here. Uh, one of Minnesota's 10 electors uh, refused to vote. A Colorado elector was replaced, etc. We'll catch up on this a little bit. But, um, you know, he's going to be president. Let's just face it. Anyway, so I thought about how we could, what are some of the things we ought to do to fix our democracy? And there are some things that are possible. I mean, they're they're technically possible. And the kind of things I think would also be popular with the people, but I think for political reasons won't happen. Let's go through them. First of all, the first thing I would have us do is to establish ranked choice voting. Uh, We've talked about this on the show before, especially whenever I discuss third parties. I always bring up that as long as we keep our voting the way it is, as long as we have first past the post voting, we're always going to have a duopoly in control. It's always going to be two parties. It's just game theory. It's it's actually something that's called Duverger's Law. Duverger's Law. Duverger was a French political scientist in the 1700s who figured out that if it's one person, single party, you know, uh, plurality uh, type voting, first past the post, like we have, mathematically speaking, you're going to get two parties. It, today, it's the Dems and the Republicans. It could be the Whigs and the Federalists. It could be whatever versus whatever, but it's always going to be two just because of the game theory involved. Didn't you start voting for a third party? You start undermining the first, you know, you get the spoiler effect like Ralph Nader, like Jill Stein, whatever. And I'm not even, you know, let's not even argue about if they were spoilers or not, but it's the concepts that we need to keep in mind here. And the same Duverger's law shows that if you have more choices that are possible, that you can increase the viability of third parties. Particularly speaking, what ranked choice voting means is that you pick the candidates you like in the order that you like them. So maybe in this election, you'd have gone number one, Jill Stein, number two, Gary Johnson, number three, Hillary Clinton, and then nothing for Trump, right? You're not going to even rank them, right? Which is also possible in these ranked choice things. You don't have to rank everybody. So 
When we do the first round of voting, we count up all the number one votes, right? So maybe it goes 48 Clinton, 46 Trump, 3% Johnson, 1% Stein. Well, none of them got 50%. So in the first round, you drop the last place. In this case, you drop Jill Stein. Once you get rid of Jill Stein, you now add all of the Jill Stein votes. What were the second choice of the Jill Stein votes? Now, in our example, your second choice was Gary Johnson. So your Jill Stein vote now jumps over to Gary Johnson. Others may jump over to Trump. Others may jump over to Clinton, whatever. But now we're only counting the votes of the three. Run that through. Maybe it goes 48 Clinton, 46 Trump, 4% Johnson. We still don't have a 50%. So now we drop Johnson. And then the 4% of Johnson's votes, we, we go to the number three. What was the third choice of those people? The second or third choice. Now those votes are getting divided between Clinton and Trump. And then maybe one of those people gets 50%. But basically what this means is that the person who gets the majority is going to be liked by the most people as either their first or second choice. And this way you don't have a spoiler vote effect. You don't have to worry, right? You can say, hey, I can go wholeheartedly behind Jill Stein because if she doesn't make it, my number two choice is Hillary Clinton. And then she makes it, right? So it frees you up to vote your conscience without worrying that you might end up causing the exact opposite of what your conscience wants and getting like a Trump if you're a Stein voter, for example. Now, this is possible. Maine has just passed an amendment this election, the same time they voted to legalize, they instituted state and federal votes will use ranked choice. There's also a bunch of counties and cities that use it all across the country. So it's not as if it's a new thing. We can do this in America. Now, I think it could happen in the states that have initiative power, just like Maine did. That's only 24 states. The rest of the states, the 26 states that don't have initiative power, why would the Democrats and Republicans in those states want to institute something that would bring third parties in and upset their apple cart. That's where the political problem is. Here's another thing I think we could do to fix uh, our politics, and that is increase the size of the House of Representatives. Have you heard about Article the First? So we just had Bill of Rights Day recently, December 15th, and you think of the Bill of Rights, you know, First Amendment, freedom of speech, press, you know, all that, Second Amendment, you know, bare arms, and so forth, right? We think of the Bill of Rights. Well, the Bill of Rights were part of 12 articles that were written. Originally, our Bill of Rights was going to have 12 in it. Numbers 3 through 12 became our Bill of Rights. So actually, if you read the articles as they were originally written, the First Amendment was the third one, and the Second Amendment was the fourth one, and so on. And they call it Article the Third, Article the Fourth, Article the Fifth, and so on. Now, Article the Second that was written by our founding fathers back in the 1700s was the one that says Congress can't raise its own pay. Like a pay raise has to take place to the next Congress, right? That didn't get ratified till 1992. That was the 27th amendment. So that sat around for over 200 years until it finally got ratified. That was article the second. So article the first is still out there. It's still waiting to be ratified. And what article the first is, is one that says that there will be a minimum, I'm sorry, a maximum of 50,000 citizens in a congressional district. What it was is it was a proportional, uh, a proportional representation amendment that said until we have X number of people, there'll be 100 representatives and they'll represent no more than 20,000 people and then there'll be no more than 30,000. Well, the way it would work out is that today, if 
the article of first was mandated, a congressional district could be no more than 50,000 people. Right now, congressional districts average 700,000 people. So how responsive are, is a representative when to one voter when that's one out of 700,000 people? Now, here's the thing. Our House of Representatives right now is 435 people. If we had one representative for every 50,000 citizens in America, our House of Representatives would be 6,400 congresspeople. And sometimes people freak out. They're like, geez, 6,400. How would we ever get anything done? Well, gosh, we got 435 now. How much are they getting done? What are we worried about? Gridlock, <laughs> right? Here's what we do. Abandon this idea that they all have to be in Washington, D.C. three days a week in one building when usually they're out actually on the phone trying to raise money. Forget that. This is the 21st century. Have us a House of Representatives that's done virtually. Have them have them meet and vote through Skype. Have them have all this done electronically and keep them in their districts. Imagine that your congressperson, instead of being in Washington, D.C. half the time, was at his district and the district was small enough that it was no more people than your average college football stadium. How much more responsive would they be if not only they had to vote while they were in the district, like you could pick it outside their office while they're voting, but also knowing that your voice was one of just 50,000 people. Now, here's the other upside of that. It helps fix our electoral college problem because we pick our electors based on how many reps we have plus how many senators. With one per 50,000, California would have 778 electoral votes and Wyoming would have 14 instead of the 55 to 3 ratio that we have now. It would make Congress better. It would make our electoral college better. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com. The cannabis industry is growing, business is booming, and as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. Today, it takes more than just being a good grower. Do you have the resources to market and handle this ever-changing business landscape? Let Canna Management Corporation help you grow your canna business with our vast resources and experience to make your business a fully functional service company. Financial management, HR, sales, marketing, efficiency, and more. CMC has the experience and the expertise to improve your business and help you better meet the demands of your clients and customers. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. Today I started smoking my weed again. I'm right back where I really always been. I got over my weed just long enough to let my probation end. And today 
I started smoking my weed again. Hey, boy, pass me that joint. <laughs> Chong's choice. <laughs> the Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, the national wildlife refuge for marijuana unicorns. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. 40 after the hour, and uh, checking out our live chat room at CannabisRadio.com. Tommy asks if anybody out west wants to adopt him. Yeah, Tommy, we've actually got an extra room here at uh, Delta 9 Studios. Serious, 600 bucks a month plus your share of utilities and the um, deposit, which is you got to let me use one of your Harleys. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're a helmet state, by the way, Tommy. So if you're coming out here, make sure you uh, bring your uh, brain bucket. So I was discussing how I'm going to fix democracy. Uh, give me the magic wand, and I assure you I'll have democracy fixed. Step one, rank choice voting so we can get more third parties involved in the process. Step two, uh, adopt Article the First as our 28th Amendment so that we can have a bigger House of Representatives, 6,400 people in the House of Representatives, meet electronically, they live at home in their districts. And this also fix, I talked about how it fixes the electoral college because right now you've got, um, here's, here's an interesting thing to think about. The state of California and the state of New York combined, two big populous states. California has 30 million adults of voting age, 18 and older. New York has 15 million adults of voting age. So between the two of these two blue states, they have 45 million voters. Compare that to a bunch of interior states that I selected. Alabama, Alaska, Idaho, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, New Mexico, North Dakota, South Carolina, South Dakota, Utah, West Virginia, and Wyoming combined have 28 million adult voters. So remember, California and New York, 45 million adults. Those 16 states, 16 red states, 28 million adults. Comparing California and New York, how much did they pay in taxes to the federal government? Almost half a trillion dollars, $493 billion. How many electoral votes do they have? 84. Okay. So for 84 electoral votes, California has got 45 million voters and a half a trillion in taxes they pay. Those 16 red states, 28 million voters, 
less than 200 billion in taxes, same 84 electoral votes. How is that fair? This is like 18 people going to the pizza parlor and two of them are paying for the pizza, but the other 16 are picking all the toppings. <laughs> like it's not quite fair. And this means that there's a disproportionate power to a voter in a smaller state because their vote is a smaller share of their elector. If we do this in Wyoming units, we'll pick Wyoming because it's the smallest state, right? So Wyoming has three electoral votes. It's got 447,000 adults. That means one electoral vote represents 149,000 voters, about 150,000, right? One to 150,000. In California, that one electoral vote represents over a half million voters, 557,000. This is a ratio of 3.7 to 1. That means it takes 3.7 voters in California to equal the voice of one Wyoming voter. It takes two Idaho voters to match the voice of one Wyoming voter, and so forth. So this fix of Article I, make our House of Representatives be one representative for every 50,000 people, helps solve that problem because what we've got right now is a ratio where it's 3.7 to 1, right? It takes 3.7 Wyoming voters to match one California voter. If we increase the number of electoral votes so that California goes up to 778 and Wyoming goes up to 14, the ratio then becomes 1.2 to 1. It's still tilted toward Wyoming, but not 3.7 to 1. It's just 1.2 to 1. This would not only help our electoral college problem, but another problem that we have in our democracy, and that is gerrymandering. You know, when they make the weird districts so that they, well, when you've only got 435 representatives, the effect of gerrymandering is much greater. When your congressional district can be 700,000 people, that's a lot more area for which you to draw your weird-ass gerrymandered district. But if your district's only 50,000 and there's 6,400 reps, even if you do successfully gerrymander a district, the effect of it is smaller. It's, it's one 6,400th of the Congress instead of one 435th of the Congress. All right, so that's the that's the article the first. I've always loved article the first. Uh, I really wish we could get that. Why it won't happen though? Well, it takes ratifying an amendment to the Constitution, which is either two thirds of the House and Senate approve it. Why would they do that? And or two thirds of the states to do it, and and that would require enough of the interior states, which would end up losing power in this deal. So no, article first isn't. Going to get passed. Damn it. Here's my third choice to fix things. Paper trail vote by mail. Just change the way we vote. I mean, suppose you were a rich bastard and you wanted to make sure that poor people couldn't vote. And in this way, you and your rich bastard friends can get elected and you can pass laws that favor rich bastards. So how would you design a voting system? To make it so you and your rich bastard friends can vote, but the poor people can't. Well, first thing you do is make sure that you have to vote in person on a certain day. 
right? Since you're rich, I mean, you can rearrange your schedule, you know, just have your driver take you to the polls. But the poor folks, they're going to have a tougher time getting time off work of their two jobs, or they might have transportation difficulties trying to get to the polls. And the next thing you do, you'd schedule the vote to happen on a specific day and make that day a Tuesday. Because like if it was Saturday or Sunday, more poor people would have the day off and they could go vote. And if it was a Monday or a Friday, you could uh, possibly arrange a three-day weekend, maybe have some sick or vacation days to make it. But you put it on a Tuesday and, well, now you can't take two days off in a row. Now you got to work on Monday and then off on a Tuesday and everyone's trying to get the same Tuesday off and that's going to be difficult. And then the next thing you do is you make sure that the rich people polling places are open and well-staffed and there's plenty of ballots and plenty of machines and it only takes you 10 or 20 minutes to hop out of the Mercedes and mark your ballot and head off to your afternoon tea time. But for the poor people, well, make sure those are understaffed and the machines break and there's not enough ballots and the lines are four to six hours long and some of those people, well, they won't have enough, they'll have to go back to work now and they have to jump out of line. In other words, you do what most of the states do now if you wanted to make sure poor people couldn't vote. Well, since 2000, my state of Oregon has exclusively done vote by mail. Since like 2011, I think Washington has. Colorado's done it since 2013, I think. So we've got three states now that are doing this. You get this election guide that's mailed to you well in advance. You can read through every candidate all their background, they got links to websites you can go look up. They've got all the initiatives and the tax levies. You can actually research this shit. It's wonderful. And then they mail you your ballot. You just fill out the little ovals and you send it in. You can send it in early. You can send it in on the day. You can drive over to the, the polling station, actually drop it off yourself if you want to. But uh, why this won't happen? Well... Too many of these Republican states rely on voter suppression. And if you got vote by mail and you're making it easier for people, that's harder to suppress the vote. Now, I think this one, though, I think vote by mail could happen in, in many more states, though. I think we could get this in many more states. Step four, you want to fix democracy? You want to especially, especially fix our presidential elections? Shorten the damn election season. Did you realize last year, Major League Baseball played 2,465 games with 30 teams consisting of 750 players to come up with a champion? That took two months less than the United States competing 50 primaries between two teams with 20 players to select a president. <laughs> when, when your event is taking longer than the baseball season... Yeah, you're you're running a little long here. So there's a petition. You know the musician uh, Cheryl Crow, right? She's got a petition to the Democratic Committee and the Republican Committee begging them to please shorten the primary season. We're like the only country in the world that has such a long-ass presidential election season. And the problem with that is we get to the point where, you know, you just finished the last midterm election and now you're on to the presidential election. It's like those... You know, when you hear the Christmas carols before Halloween, it's like, hey, <laughs> hold up a bit here. And, and I think it really affects our election because over this long, drawn-out season, that's more time to spend money on those political ads and more time for the big money to start affecting the election. I, I know some people say just, you know, uh, get rid of Citizens United. You know, yeah, we could do that too, but 
even if Citizens United sticks around, if the season is shorter, there's less time for that big money to make a difference. So let's shorten the primary season. I, I think we ought to do it like we do the uh, NCAA tournament, <laughs> right? Let's do it like this. Let's start the election in September, right? And every week there's a regional primary, right? Like, like you have like Super Tuesday when there's a group of states, but let's do it regionally, right? We'll have like the Northeast region and the Southeast conference and the, and the Midwest and the Southwest and the, you know, California have its own and right. But have these little regional ones each week and they're always followed following a Monday debate, right? We'll have the Tuesday election day, but again, vote by mail, but Tuesday election day, follow a Monday debate before it for each region and then rotate the regions, right? No more of this Iowa always going first and New Hampshire always going first. Like this year, we'll start with the Southeast and that's the first region to vote. But next year, the Northeast will be the first region to vote or whatever, but rotate it every year. This way, it's a week by week. People get in that habit of, oh, it's, it's, it's election season starts in September and every week there's a vote in a different region that eventually leads to the vote in November for the president. Why can't we do it that way? And then people are more civically engaged because it's unlike the freaking baseball season that takes forever. Now we've compacted it more like the football season, like college football, and we can get people's attention and keep their attention and not have such a long drawn out season where the, the money and the mudslinging starts to take such an effect. That's what I'd like to see. Here's another idea I've got, again, since we're saving democracy. Now, b- by the way, this idea of the shortened season, never going to happen. <laughs> now, it could happen because the Republican and Democratic parties are private organizations. They could change the rules if they wanted to. But longer campaign seasons mean more spending on TV campaign ads and salaries for political hacks and attention for small states. And so it's not going to happen. Wish it would. What else would I change if I could? A federal term limits amendment. Now, this is a weird one for me, folks, because for the longest time, I've not been a term limits guy. In fact, I don't like the term limits that we have under the 22nd Amendment for president. If we didn't have term limits, Barack Obama could run for a third term right now. We wouldn't have this Trump problem, right? Bill Clinton could have run for a third term. We might not have had George W. Bush, right? So, you know, I don't like that term limits amendment. And besides, if someone is a good politician and can keep winning reelection, why should we flush them down the tubes? Shouldn't we want to keep the people with experience? But here's the problem. This is where I've changed my mind on this subject is because from an ideologically pure point of view, yeah, I'm right. Like a good politician should be able to get reelected and so on. But from a practical point of view, it's incumbency and money that wins these reelections. And then these guys become like barnacles. You got guys like John Conyers who has been in the house of representatives for over 51 years, one job house reps, 51 years. What was it? What did bird serve like 57 or something like that? Or was it the other guy? I can't remember anyway, but uh, yeah, that's a, that's a problem because then you've got the same encrusted thinking and no chance for new blood getting in there. So, I've decided now that there ought to be federal term limits, but I, I got a different way of doing it. Let's get rid of the 22nd Amendment that limits presidents to two terms. So I think two terms is too short. Imagine the good that could have been done in a 12-year Obama legacy or a 12-year, well, whatever, right? I say 
we get rid of the 22nd Amendment, come up with a new amendment that says you can the only people eligible for federal office are those who have held that office for a dozen years or fewer. Okay, so if you want to be a congressman, you can serve six two year terms. But after that, no more congressman. You're done out. You're a senator. You can serve two six year terms. That's it. Two terms as a senator and then you're out. You want to be president? You can serve three four year terms. That's it. Three, 12 years. You're done. You get appointed to the Supreme Court. 12 years max. You can stay on the Supreme Court for 12 years. However, you can serve more than one office. So you could be a six-term congressman and then be a two-term senator, then be a three-term president, then be 12 years on the Supreme Court. That way, if you're a really good politician, you're really serving the public, theoretically, you could serve the public your whole life. You could serve for 48 years so long as you keep moving up. No more just being the complacent incumbent at one level. You got to move up. You got to graduate out of your level. So if we did something like that, that's where I could be for the term limits. That would be okay with me. And finally, the last way that I would uh, fix democracy. Oh, and and this term limits thing. Uh, To make it happen, you've got to have to have an amendment, right? So you need two-thirds of Congress or two-thirds of the state legislatures to pull this off. And that's why it won't happen. (laughs) We're going to convince a bunch of these guys that have been in Congress for 40 years that they ought to be kicked out of Congress. Yeah, let me sign that. (laughs) They'll be right. They'll be right right for that, won't they? Yeah, they'll jump right on that. So unfortunately, I don't think it'll happen. And finally, my step six. Here's the final way. This this is my final way. Fix American democracy. Nationwide citizen initiative petitions. I mean... The power of the people to craft their own laws in initiatives has been so transforming in the states that have this. I mean, it's no it's no coincidence that the states that have the best medical marijuana and that have marijuana legalization are states that have citizen initiatives because the legislatures aren't likely to do this kind of thing. Now, it can be used for good. You can come up with medical marijuana, assisted suicide can be used for evil. They do those anti-gay initiatives or the crippling anti-tax code types of things. But regardless which direction it's going, there's no doubt that having a citizen initiative leads to a greater range of change in a quicker time than what you get without initiative power. Of course, why that won't happen is because those states that don't have initiative power the legislatures would have to make that change. And why are they going to make a change that makes them less powerful? So again, I've got the six ways to fix American democracy, but you're going to have to make me the absolute dictator to pull them off. <laughs> That's the only way that's going to happen. And I promise I'll do it. I'll just, I'll just enact these six things and then I'll give up absolute power. I swear I would never, you know, abuse that. Um, really promise. But <laughs> But that's my ideas for how we fix American democracy, and uh, I'm enjoying watching uh, people's chats on this as well. I'm a little frustrated, you know. I I've been uh, I've been a Democrat for so long that I thought Democrats' cave was a place. It's just so frustrating sometimes, you know. We we get uh, we get this uh, change election that we just lose, and then who do we appoint our leaders? Pelosi and Schumer. 
<laughs> like, okay, here we go. Just the same old, same old. All right, folks, that sound means it's all the time we got for today. It's good to be back from Jamaica, but it's cold here in Portland. We'll <laughs> be back tomorrow with more news, interviews, and views you can use for the cannabis community. You can always call us 24 hours a day at 650-LEGAL-MJ. We've got our voicemail number up there. If you want to leave a voicemail, you might hear it on the show. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ Belleville. Thanks for joining us. Check out my column on HighTimes.com tomorrow, the Radical Rant column, and my work at WeedNews.co. And thank you, everybody, for the well wishes about Roscoe P. Coltrane. Take care. Have yourself a good night. Happy holidays to all. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Maui Wowie Acapulco Gold.